My name is Tyler Bubbles, and welcome back to the fourth Sunday after Pentecost for the week of June 25th, 2023, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to begin this week's podcast, and I'm excited that we have gotten to this point. Uh, we are nearing the end of June. I know it's amazing to think about we have gone through six months of the year already. It's amazing how fast, year after year, time just keeps on moving along. And I think as we are in this season after Pentecost, as we've talked about before, I think these are really important weeks for half a year, that this is our grow season. And I think in a lot of times, it's easy to get mundane and malaise a little bit over this period of time because it typically is a little bit of a slowdown within some of the different things within the church, especially here in the Northern Hemisphere in North America in the United States. There's a lot of people traveling for vacations and different things of that nature. But I think it's also important for us to realize that this is an important time for us to grow in the faith. And being able to emphasize and work on that a little bit, I think is really important as we are in this season. And being able to take that growth and move us into different directions. So let's jump into the question that we have for last week, which was, when has the mental state of an injury been harder to recover from than the physical state itself, the physical injury itself? And I got an interesting response of a person talking about how even in the difficulties of going through a fairly serious injury, I would say a herniated disc is a fairly serious injury, how the brain is still able to work. And in this case, the person was driving a stick shift vehicle, was having some difficulty with that figured out a way to get underneath his vehicle and figured out ways to make it so it was easier for him to shift, to make it easier. And I think that's one of the things that is so important with this is, yes, learning what our capabilities are, but then even be able to think creatively to be able to get out of different situations. I think that's very important for us to do. And leading into one of the Old Testament readings, I think it can also at times get us into trouble. Well, let me explain. So one of our first readings this week can be out of Genesis chapter 21, verses 8 to 21. This is where we have Abraham and Sarah and Hagar. And Hagar being the slave woman of Abraham, who at earlier chapters Abraham had had a son with, thinking that this was going to be the heir. And this is a moment that Sarah is feels threatened by having the offspring here. And this is then where Abraham kind of tells her to take the son, Ishmael, and herself and kind of go afar. And then we get to see here how God is still supporting this child and taking care of this child and this woman. And this is where we branch is one of the Abrahamic faiths that this is Islam, comes out of Ishmael and the child that Abraham had. And it even does state in here, and I think we have to remember this, come lift up the boy and hold fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. This idea that the nation of who Abraham was making this nation for is not just the ones who came through Isaac, the one who was Sarah and Abraham's child, but also through Ishmael, which then is more of our Islamic brothers and sisters in the faith. 
The psalm that goes with that is Psalm 86, verses 1 to 10 and 16 and 17. And this is a dependent psalm. This is a psalm of recognizing the trust and how much it takes for God to be able to continue to be there for us. And in that recognition, being able to ask for and essentially forgiveness to be that we're asking for all these things and that the Lord continues to provide and to give us strength to be able to get through those hard times, recognizing how much that God does provide. The other alternative Old Testament text is out of Jeremiah chapter 20, verses 7 to 13. This is, we have to remember a little bit of the text of what Jeremiah is. It's a text of after 20 years of doing sermons, essays, writings, being compiled by his editor Baruch. But this is the warning of Israel still. And I'm trying to continually be warned about turning their face toward the Lord. And this is a moment where Jeremiah is just frustrated with all this. How many times am I telling you to cry out and to spend the time with the Lord and yet you don't? And I get mocked on top of what I'm doing, saying this is ridiculous But yet I am trusting in that the Lord of hosts is greater than I. And that is why I sing praises to him even when people make a mockery of me. I will continue to do what I am being called to do. The psalm then that goes with that is Psalm 69 verses 7 to 10, optionally 11 through 15, and then 16 through 18. So you can have 7 through 18. This is, again, we get that shaming, especially in the beginning of this, how difficult it can be and how hard we can be on ourselves, but then recognizing that it's the Lord who is the one that is helping us out and it's the steadfast love of the Lord, which is good and abundant in mercy and is helping when we are going through that distress to be able to redeem us and be set free from our enemies, to redeem us to be set right with God, but also to redeem us to be set free from the enemies who are making fun of us. So it's an interesting text here to essentially be tying in with Jeremiah, this idea of how there are going to be times we potentially have some mockery of what we are doing and recognizing and leading into that God is continuing to be there. The New Testament text then is out of Romans chapter 6 verses 1b to 11. And this is where we get this beginning of this discussion that we're going to have for a few weeks of talking about sin and what does this mean. But being baptized into Christ, recognizing that the newness of life that we have been given because of that, through our baptism, that we have been freed from this death. We've been freed from sin. But that means that that we need to live in this different way, that we are being called into the life that God has called us into. So thus, we are trying to put aside some of the sin that is steering us toward death, but live into the new life that Christ has done for us. The gospel text then this week is out of Matthew chapter 10, verses 24 to 39. This is one of these long Gospels that we have here out of Matthew and continuing talking about and giving some advice for his disciples. 
but recognizing that we are trying to be like the teacher, be not as a slave master relationship, but a disciple to teacher relationship, recognizing that there is love and hostility that is given to us as the disciples, this relationship that is wanting to be formed. And we get this especially coming out of verse 29 into 30 and 31, talking about the sparrows, and yet the Father does not let them fall to the ground. He has accounted for all the hairs on your head, and do not be afraid. You are much more value than a sparrow. This idea of then the peace that is trying to happen by this relationship that is trying to be formed and recognizing that this relationship takes precedent over everything else and that this is then going to lead into a new life that we end up growing and being able to prosper in because of this and that this new life that Christ is promising is much more abundant than what we would be otherwise. So, before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do our shameless plugs for Working Preacher. If you haven't entered a Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between their Sermon Brainwaves podcasts, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help bring you this podcast. And there's so many great resources over there. I just highly recommend checking out all the different resources over there. So if you haven't checked it out, check out some of the commentaries, check out some of the discussions, check out Working Preacher over at workingpreacher.org. I'd also highly recommend checking out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library. I really enjoy how they lay out the text week to week. I find that extremely helpful, along with having prayers, hymns, liturgical colors, art. We have talked about how important the art can be to helping us interpret and understand a lot of these different texts. So if you haven't checked that out, I'd highly recommend it. Finally, I also highly recommend checking out the Green Blades Preaching Roundtable and Green Blades Rising Publications, which is either a weekly reflection or a monthly newsletter giving resources and events that are going on in the upper Midwest and beyond, but more importantly, having ecological echoes, implications, and urgencies to be able to bring into your preaching. I'd highly recommend checking out these resources. I will give you a teaser. I will be working on one of these later in the second half of the year since now we're halfway through the year. And it's just a great resource. I've utilized it before, and it's really fun to be able to look at and think about on a weekly basis how does the environment tie into these texts. So if you haven't checked that out, I'd highly recommend it. There is a theme this week. And I know that we will be getting this theme now for the next few weeks, but I think it's important for us to be able to see this around us in all the different ways. And again, it plays into this idea that this is a growing season, but sometimes to be able to grow, you need to be able to establish the relationship. You need to be able to understand where we're building from. The story that we get out of Genesis this week is kind of a hard story, I feel, for us to be able to wrap our heads around, especially being more of Christian descent, to have here the foundations of Islam and recognizing that these are still brothers and sisters in the faith and recognizing that God is still providing for them as well and recognizing in that that Yes, there is things that we still could have discussions about and work with, but recognizing that they are also still children of God 
in that. Recognizing at times we can be ignorant and just flat out rude when we don't understand and see how God is moving. And we see that in the Jeremiah text, how we can denounce God, how we can turn away from God, how we can just be plain stubborn, even as God is given In this case, the great prophet of Jeremiah to try to steer the people and yet how hard-headed we can be. And yet we'd rather sit and linger and dwell with that sin than into the freedom that we are being given. And thus, this relationship of who God is wanting us to be is there if we're willing to accept the challenge. This has been something throughout history that we have struggled with. Today, we're going to talk about an issue that has gotten better in some ways over the last 150 years, but in a lot of ways, there's also still things to be learned when we are looking back on this and when we tell this story. I think there's a lot of things we can improve upon and things to make sure that we don't end up losing along the way as well. So to start my story, I'm going to rewind us back into the 1800s. And we have to recognize that when we look back at the 1800s and we look through the history, we have to look at how much overuse of natural resources we were doing. Not only as we are entering into the beginnings and rumblings of the Industrial Revolution, but also the understandings of how fashion and hunting was changing our world around us. We were having mass extinctions or mass hunting expeditions like we saw with the Great Plains bison here in the United States and how they are a fraction of the population that they used to be, partially because they were seen as disrupting things that were going on. But birds in particular were being killed for multiple reasons, one for food, another for feathers because they were being utilized in a lot of fashion, specifically hats and also for scientific collections. This isn't that much different than what we talked about a couple weeks ago with the ivory-billed woodpecker. As this was all going on, we started to notice that there were multiple species of birds that started to disappear, going extinct, one of which being the great auk, which is like a penguin-like bird that disappeared. And there started to be rumblings within conservation circles that we need to do something. But one of the things that kind of pushed that across the line was in 1914, the loss of the passenger pigeon being extinct in North America and being considered at one point the most abundant bird in North America. And we've talked about that. There's a little bit there that they were probably going through a boom cycle within their population. But it's also still stunning that during a boom cycle, we were still able to wipe them off the face of the planet. So we started to have some regulations start happening. In 1903, here in the United States, they set aside the first national wildlife area for migratory birds called Pelican Island. And especially after the passenger pigeon died on August 16, 1916, we signed with the UK, who was in control of Canada at the time, the Migratory Bird Treaty, which has been extended to Japan, Russia, and Mexico. This is a treaty that provides security across these political borders that we naturally make as humans, trying to say that if a bird is a migratory bird and is moving across these lines, they are protected. Why? They are protected because we are stating that 
They don't understand these lines. We then are taking on the responsibility that they should be able to nest and we should be able to take care of them. This then has extended into further programs, such as, and I'll attach links down below for Partners in Flight, which has been trying to work on recognizing that we have a lot of neotropical birds here in the United States and how much further they go than just Mexico into Central America and being able to try to work with areas throughout the whole thing to make sure that we're not just protecting maybe their summer breeding habitat here in the United States, but also protecting their winter habitat to make sure that they are able to thrive and survive. Why do I bring this all up? The reason I bring this all up is the recognition that it's at this point after loss that we understand that part of our responsibility that was given to us in the garden is to take care of this place and make sure that it is being provided for in both locations. Wherever these birds may fly, that they are taking care of. And even as we mess things up, we added pain like we see in the Genesis text, we are still able to recover and recognize that God's still working through us even when we mess up, even when we lose our way. But in that, we should also be trying to learn. We should also be trying to understand and recognize these things where we fall short, these things that we overlook the damages the things that take more work and effort than if we had initially done it in the beginning. This topic of, yes, it's easy to use birds, but just conservation in general often gets to be a controversial issue because it is seen as something that stands in the line of potential business at times. But it's also this recognition that we are connected to something greater than ourselves. We are also in this process of recognizing that we are part of a gift that was given to us. And in doing that, we should be trying to connect with it in order for us to be able to grow closer with it. And in doing so, we understand the character of our creator of it. I think when we look at especially here the last five verses or so of the gospel text, I think it helps give some perspective to this. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Do we lose our life? Do we spend the time to recognize the creation of what God has done? Recognizing in that we are giving up a bit of our own free will to understand something greater than ourselves to be able to then recognize the beauty of what has actually been given to us. Years ago now, when I was still dating my wife, she asked me one year what did I want to do on my birthday, and I decided to go to the University of Minnesota to a birding conference. And she still brings up that that was a moment where she recognized that she loved me, 
but that is not her passion. As they presented paper after paper after paper on different birding topics that I found absolutely fascinating, one that has stuck with me for years is near the area that I grew up in, the St. Croix River Valley in between Minnesota and Wisconsin, they went through one late summer, early fall and banded these birds before they started doing winter migration of the same species. And with the idea that they had GPS trackers on there, and I think they banded like 20 birds And with how to be able to have the battery life to be able to actually track these birds, they had to recapture them. And as we have discussed here before, but as has been studied, birds like returning to the same area year after year after year. They develop a local dialect, and so you can kind of tell that the bird species will work best if they are able to stay in the area where they grew up. For the most part, we've had some discussion. There's a little bit of flexibility within those rules, but I digress. They assumed with them all spending the summer together that they would all somewhat winter together, probably take a similar route together. Of like the 20 birds that they were put trackers on, they were able to get back like 12. And the data was shocking. If I remember correctly, it was like six different countries that the birds had wintered in, and the routes were nuts. There were some going to, like, Nicaragua from, like, the Twin Cities area by way of Nashville, Tennessee. The routes that they were taking didn't seem to be logical, but it was also for us to recognize and understand how much more conservation efforts we still have to do. In that, we don't understand necessarily the routes that they're taking. Thus, we need to be taking care of these things. And as we learn and grow and take that time to understand the ecosystem, we are then able to better help the ecosystem. Another example of this, sandhill crane migration is where 80% of the world's sandhill cranes go through a 75-mile stretch in Nebraska on the Platte River. The Platte River in particular because it's a wide river that floods wide and it's fairly shallow. And there's good food supply and it's kind of a midway stopping point depending on how far north these birds are going to go. They are hunted throughout their migratory range outside of Nebraska because they're going to be there for multiple weeks to fuel up to be able to continue their journey potentially as far as Russia coming from Mexico and Texas area and again this is another bird species we've talked about before but again another bird species that benefits from the Migratory Bird Act being able to see okay the population has gotten big enough that we can hunt these but also recognizing that there's still protections put into place to make sure that they are there to continue to thrive. One final story actually from me recently. There's a house that the church that I'm working at has acquired and it's looking to be torn down. But we've been checking on it because there has been some rock pigeons who have been nesting in there. And rock pigeons technically kind of aren't as much of a migratory bird. You could probably get around it. But it's also one of these things that we're checking in because you are trying to make sure that you are 
playing it safe with these migratory birds because it's federal law, because we're trying to protect these, because we're seeing them as a valuable resource. We have to recognize in the world and life that we're in, as we are trying to push forward with technology, to also make sure that we don't get blinded to the aspect that we are also still consuming resources that are limited. And making sure that when we are consuming, that we're doing it in the most responsible way possible. We have done and had mistakes where we have had things go extinct prematurely. Where we have been the cause of that. Passenger pigeons, great auk are two examples of that. We then need to be able to recognize that, value that, and In doing that, being able to learn from it to an extent of not being blind to it now. Maybe we're not putting birds, feathers, and birds on hats. But what are we doing to environments to extract resources? Even as we are going to a clean infrastructure with electricity, are we looking at the environmental impact of the clean energy? Making sure that we're not putting like wind turbines along flight paths for birds. Thinking through the impact. And there's going to be pros and cons to every situation. And yes, this slows down the process. And yes, it can be infuriating. But yes, this is part of us carrying out the gospel. This is part of us recognizing us losing ourselves for the sake of the gospel. Recognizing that just because we have a great idea, Abraham had a great idea to be able to do this whole generations thing because he was getting old and Haggai was a lot younger than Sarah. And God said, but I already had a plan and I already had something working. I will still make this work, but it would have been a heck of a lot easier. And we wouldn't have this strife that we have with separating Israel. Jeremiah sending out the warnings, the struggle that we have with sin and how it can downturn us and how we don't feel worthy. And what is Jesus trying to say? I'm trying to have this relationship with you. And I think it gets back to, for us, is when have we had the relationship with the creation that we should? That's the question for the week. When have we had the relationship with the creation that we should? Because in understanding the creation, we are able to better understand the creator. In better understanding the creation, we are better able to understand the creator. That is part of taking up the cross to follow. It's not just being spoken to us through the word. It's not just us being spoken to through other people and the Holy Spirit running through I solemnly believe there are times that the Holy Spirit runs on the wind as it runs through the trees and is out in nature, and we just need to discover it. And sometimes it might be on the wings of migratory birds. So we need to be able to understand and appreciate what they're bringing to ecosystems. We need to be able to understand and contemplate seeing beyond the political differences of the borders that we create to be able to see the impact of what the birds are seeing for us to be better tenders of the garden. And thus, if we are better tenders to the garden, I would argue we will get to the point where we are being better neighbors to each other. And thus, we are living out the mission of what has been called to us from the beginning. Birds can help us do this. Creation 
can help us do this. Why? Because they don't see the political borders. They don't see the humanness that we do. The humanness that gets us stuck like we see in Romans. The humanness where we jump the gun like in Genesis. The humanness that causes us to mock things in Jeremiah. The humanness where we don't see ourselves in this relationship with Christ. We don't see ourselves in relationship with God. We see ourselves as something lesser, where God is wanting to have this deep relationship with us. And I think that's where when we look at partners in flight, when we look at what the Migratory Bird Treaty has brought and what we have brought with also adding natural wildlife areas has brought, it forces us to start getting in touch with other parts of God's creation and recognizing the impact that we have on it also and that it has on us to change who we are, to be able to fulfill the mission on what God has called us into and what Jesus calls us out here in the last two verses, but specifically verse 39. Those who find their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. And I don't know about you, but I'm down for a good adventure, and I'm excited to find it. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.